welcome back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I'm your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. So for those of you new to this podcast, I was a chemical engineer that shifted into health coaching after a lifetime of sugar addiction, binge eating, and ended up developing an autoimmune thyroid condition. I had digestive issues, losing hair, I had a ton of health issues, but that was completely transformed through functional nutrition and mindfulness tools. And I've now coached hundreds of people to do the same, to overcome their binge eating behaviors, emotional eating, sugar addiction, and transform their health. And so if you're someone that is struggling, please reach out. Know that you do not have to do this alone. Want to set up a free strategy session? You can reach out to me at mindfulbelly.com or email me at ellie at mindfulbelly.com. And that's also what this podcast is about, is about teaching you mindfulness tools, teaching you a lot of the misinformation that there is around health that actually promotes us to keep us sick and keep us in these addictive patterns and stuck. And so I'm so excited that in this episode to share with you an interview with one of my favorite people and authors, Dr. Ken Berry. Dr. Ken Berry is a practicing board certified physician. He's an Amazon bestselling author and a passionate advocate of health on his YouTube channel where he has over 1 million subscribers. His YouTube channel is phenomenal. And he just released his second edition of his best-selling book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, which is so good, you guys. It's such a practical guide with tons of resources. So you don't just have to take Dr. Ken's word for it. He provides the resources to look it up for yourself too, to really feel confident in your belief systems and to open your eyes to a lot of things that are going on right now that are preventing us from becoming our healthiest selves. And, and Dr. Ken is known for his direct, no-nonsense approach to health and wellness, which you'll hear in this episode. And that's what I love about him. It's very much cutting through the bull and just giving us the information that we need to hear. And he has a mission to bring an end to the obesity and type 2 diabetes epidemics, along with bringing awareness to such issues like thyroid health and hormone optimization. And this was really hit home for me because I, as I mentioned, had thyroid issues and I was going to, I went to six different doctors, all of whom just didn't know what was wrong. And they were checking my TSH number and that looked fine. That was in range. And so they're like, nope, your thyroid's fine. It's not your thyroid. Well, I went to a naturopath and she was the only one that asked for a full thyroid panel, including thyroid antibodies, which that's how I found out that I was having immune issues, autoimmune issues. And I see this now over and over and over with clients. I'm literally working with a client who's been on Synthroid for nine years, has had hypothyroid for nine years, would have never been tested for antibodies or a full thyroid panel, has only been going off of TSH. I requested her get a full thyroid panel. Her antibodies were in the thousands, you guys. This is crazy that no one has ever tested her for this. So we instantly got her off of foods that she has been having immune reactions to that have been promoting this autoimmunity, gluten, dairy, soy, grains. And she's had such a massive improvement. And along with that, she's been suffering from anxiety, which is very much contributed because of these, this hypothyroid she's been living in and this Hashimoto's that she's had that's been undiagnosed and untreated. And it just the um, 
effect that has had on her, on her anxiety, along with the mindfulness work that we've been doing a lot of meditation and things, but this, the way of eating that shifted has massively transformed her mental health. And I can't drive this enough that diet is not just losing X amount of pounds. It is so much about your mental health. It is so much about everything, the way you show up in the world. So please pay attention to it. And and don't just go off of maybe what your doctor says. That's what, and that's what I'm excited to share Dr. Ken's episode and for you to read his book because there is a lot that we need to be questioning. And so with that, so Dr. Ken has a YouTube series. He's got hundreds of videos that are so awesome. No matter where you're at on your journey, if you're just starting out in with keto or you're a seasoned veteran and just looking to optimize or learn more, he's got it all. And you can find him on Instagram at Ken D. Barry, MD. And his book is out wherever books are sold. I got mine on Amazon. So definitely worth the read. Again, that's called Lies My Doctor Told Me. And let's go to the show. Hi, Dr. Ken. How are you? Great. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you so much for being here and being willing to do this. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. Well, I guess to get started, I would love to just share with our listeners what, who you are, how, what got you on this keto to carnivore journey. Um, so if we can start from the beginning. Yeah. So I've been practicing family medicine for, for 20 years now. And during the first few years of my practice, I was eating standard American diet, you know, trying to eat more whole grain, trying to avoid saturated fat. And I was steadily gaining weight. And at the point where I decided something needed to be done, I was morbidly obese, pre-diabetic, had severe reflux pain every single day, had joint pain, was tired. No matter how much I slept, I just, I was miserable. And so it occurred to me one day, hey, dude, you're a doctor. You're supposed to be giving people information about how to be healthier. And you are very, very unhealthy. And you've been following your own advice pretty much. And I thought, yeah, that's bad. I need to tighten up, right? And so I really started to watch my diet. I got rid of all the junk stuff and started eating tons of whole grain stuff and avoided all saturated fat. Uh, I started jogging, you know, just everything you're supposed to do. And after a couple of months of that, I'd gained five more pounds. And at that point, I was like, okay, so it's official. I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to nutrition. And also, the American Heart and Diabetes Associations evidently don't know what they're talking about because I've been following their guidelines and I'm steadily getting fatter and becoming, uh, get, getting closer and closer to becoming a type 2 diabetic. So that's when I really kind of raised my head up out of my trench and started looking around. And I read books like The Primal Blueprint, like The Paleo Diet, like The Atkins Diet Revolution. And I thought, well, these are exactly opposite of everything I've been taught. And, you know, but, but so many people, there were testimonials saying, yes, this worked for me. I thought, I'm going to try it for a month or two and just see what happens. And after that month or two trial, I had lost fat. My A1C had come down. I felt better. My joints didn't hurt as much. And I thought, maybe there's something to this. So I kind of went on a paleo diet, which was still way too many carbohydrates for me. But I didn't know that at the time. I, I, I literally thought as long as you're eating whole real foods, that should do the trick, right? 
and I wasn't really taking carbohydrates into consideration. And I continued to learn and study, and I, I came upon this thing called the ketogenic diet. And I'm like, whoa, what's this? This is interesting. And so the more I read about it, the more I'm like, oh, so I should be eating paleo-like, but I should really lower the carbohydrate intake down. Because eating that many carbohydrates, even if it's from butternut squash and spaghetti squash and sweet potatoes and quinoa, maybe I'm still just eating too many carbohydrates for me personally. And so when I kind of shifted my paleo into a, a much lower carb paleo, which would be a ketogenic diet, immediately the fat started to melt off. My joint pain went completely away. And I used to, I used to play basketball in high school, got a college scholarship, uh, blew my knee out the first year. So that was the end of that. But I used to be very athletic but I just thought my knee hurt because I had torn that ligament years ago, right? But after a, a few months of keto, I had zero joint pain anywhere, even in the knee with the old injury. And I'm like, that's weird, right? My A1C went completely back to normal. So it reversed my pre-diabetes completely. Uh, my liver enzymes had also started to elevate just a little bit. My ALT and AST, when I was paleo, immediately went back to normal when I was keto. And you gotta, you gotta understand, I didn't know what was going on back then. I was just learning about keto. And I was like, that's weird that it's fixing all these different body systems. How is it, how is it lowering my ALT and AST? How is it bringing down my, my, my A1C? How is it decreasing inflammation in my old injured knee? I don't understand, I don't know. That's gotta be, that's gotta be just coincidence, right? And so I started to recommend the keto diet to my most morbidly obese patients, people with a BMI of over 35. So these are people who would qualify for bariatric surgery. And indeed, I had a guy who was already scheduled for bariatric surgery, and he was scheduled for a knee replacement because he, he was like 450 pounds. And so he had this bad knee pain, right? So I said, dude, while you're waiting, he had about three months. I said, I want you to try this keto diet. And I, I basically, uh, it was more of a bulletproof diet, which is just a different modification of keto. I said, I want you for the next month to eat nothing but uh, bacon, butter, beef, and eggs. And you can eat as much as you want. I don't care. If you want a dozen eggs, that's fine. If you want five pounds of, of ground beef, that's fine. You can eat as much as you want. And you can just imagine this guy who's 450 pounds going, are you sure about that? I can get to eat as much as I want. So if I want 12 pieces of bacon, I'm like, yep, you can have it. He's like, hell, what have I got to lose? I already weigh 450 pounds. I mean, might as well. So he did that. He came back for his three-month checkup. He had lost 80 pounds. And, and he said, doc, I called the orthopedic surgeon and I canceled my knee surgery. And I said, why did you do that? He said, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. And I, at that point, I was like, is there some magic to this keto diet? How is that possible? My knee and his knee are, and, and you know, he weighed, he still weighed 300 and what, 70, 80 pounds. So he should still have knee pain. He was by no means a normal weight individual at that point. He said his heartburn had gotten much better. So in mine, he had a terrible skin issues. They were better. I have rosacea and my rosacea was 80, 90% better with keto. And so I can't, and so every time I would recommend this and a patient would do it, they would come back to me, not only reporting, hey, I've lost 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds, but also this got better, that got better, this got better. And I'm like, how is that possible? 
And so that's when I really got motivated to dig deep into the low carb ketogenic research. And then it kind of all started to make sense. And so that's why I do what I do now, because not only is, is keto and carnivore the best weight loss, and by weight loss, I mean fat loss, right? Because none of us want to lose muscle. None of us want to lose bone density. We don't want to lose tendon and cartilage. We want to lose fat. And I have never seen a diet in my 20 years of clinical experience that helps people with fat loss as quickly and as effortlessly as keto or carnivore. There's nothing out there. I mean, I've tried, I've recommended every diet that, that was out there in my 20 years of practice. None of them worked anywhere close to keto. Yes. And can you explain like, what is happening within keto that is helping with this drastic fat loss and helping people like even the joint pain and like what's going on there? So really keto is doing, and, and so first let me say this, I, I now consider a low carb keto carnivore diet to be the proper human diet. And I think that's why it works so well for so many different maladies. Because basically when you're eating the standard American diet or you're eating a whole grain ADA diet or the DASH diet from the AHA, you're still eating way too many carbohydrates for you. And you're, eating, you're not eating nearly enough salt and you're eating tons of grains. You're, you're eating lots of fruit, drinking lots of fruit juice, having, making your fruit juice smoothie with two bananas and a bunch of grapes every morning. And so I really have come to believe that the, the human species is a low carbohydrate species. And when you feed us too many carbohydrates on a daily basis, we get fat and sick and inflamed. And I also think that a big part of the reason so much inflammation is rampant everywhere is because of the industrial vegetable oils that everybody eats all the time and everything, whether you know it or not. It either contains vegetable oil or it was cooked in vegetable oil. Literally everything that you, unless you're thinking about your food. And so what people are left with, because of the, the high carbohydrate nature of most people's diet, they have chronic spikes in elevation in their blood sugar, which leads to chronic elevation of their insulin level. And both of these things is, is very inflammatory and it damages the in inner wall of your arteries, both large and small, right? Then when you add the industrial seed oils like canola oil, soybean, peanut, corn, you also, that leads to more inflammation inside every artery of your body. And so you wind up with arterial damage and inflammation all over your body. And so this can lead to the, the plaque buildup in your heart arteries or your brain arteries or other arteries. This, this leads to, and so when your insulin is chronically high, your listeners may or may not know this, one of the hundreds of jobs that insulin does is it decides whether you store fat or burn fat. And so when your insulin level's high, you ain't gonna burn no fat. That's not gonna happen. Only when your insulin level is within normal limits, and, and really the, the sweetest spot is when it's in low normal. That's when you really burn your stored energy on your body which is that's what fat is, stored energy. And you can't tap into that stored energy unless your insulin level is normal. But when you get up in the morning and you have two pieces of whole wheat toast, uh, two egg whites, because you don't eat the yolks, there's too much fat there, right? 
or a bowl of oatmeal and a big glass of orange juice and maybe a glass of skim milk, you've eaten a day's supply of carbohydrates in your first meal of the day. And so not only are you, is your insulin sky high to try to keep your blood sugar down, right? But then also you're hungry again in two hours. So you have to have a mid-morning snack. And, and so maybe you have some, some uh, whole wheat, uh, non-GMO organic granola, a granola bar, right? Or you have a protein shake. And you probably know this, but some people that may not, the average protein shake or protein bar actually is a carbohydrate shake or a carbohydrate bar. If they're misnamed because they'll have 10 grams of protein and 24 grams of carbohydrates, which break down into sugar. And that's another thing a lot of people don't realize is all carbohydrates break down into sugar, all of them, whether it's a carbohydrate from a jelly donut or if it's, if it's the carbohydrate from two slices of stone ground whole wheat bread. They literally, your body cannot tell the difference between whole wheat bread and a jelly donut. To your body, it's just sugar. It's sucrose, uh, glucose and fructose, that's what it is. And so that keeps your insulin level chronically high. And so you can forget, even if you're starving yourself. And so you can imagine someone who's eating three very small meals a day with three little snacks in between. And so they have, they have maybe peanut butter on, on whole wheat toast and a glass of orange juice for breakfast. That's a very small breakfast. That wouldn't, that's not enough food, but it spikes their insulin. So there's no fat burning happening there. Then two or three hours later, they have a, one of those 100 calorie snack well little snacks, right? Well, that's, that's not enough to keep a bird alive, but you just spiked your insulin again because of the carbohydrates, right? Then for lunch, you have half of a um, chicken breast sandwich. And so you got another slice of whole wheat bread, bumps your insulin back up again. So still no fat burning happening. So as long as you're doing that, you're hungry every two to three hours and you're keeping your insulin level high all day long. So you can forget, you, literally you could live on a starvation amount of calories with that kind of diet and still not lose, lose fat. That's the problem. And that's why, that's why over 50% of adults in the United States are overweight or obese right now is because we're told by everybody, eat lots of whole wheat, Bread, rolls, tortilla wraps, uh, English muffins, uh, bagels, all that, all, every one of those things I just named is exactly the same thing. It is ground up wheat, it's a little bit of sugar, and it's some industrial vegetable oil, right? And so whether you're talking about pizza crust, a bagel, a jelly donut, or a, one of those stone ground tortilla wraps, it's all carbohydrate and vegetable oil and a maybe a little bit of sugar. And so they're, all, they're literally the same product, just packaged differently. Yes. So that's it. You, you're going to be chronically inflamed and you're going to have chronically high levels of insulin. So you're not going to burn any fat, no matter how much you jog on the treadmill. Forget it. It's not going to happen. And you're going to feel miserable. And so that's, I mean, more than half of the U.S. population is trapped in that in those chains right now and they have no idea how to break out of those chains because when they when they google and go to a reputable website like WebMD or like uh the american diabetes association like the obesity they're say oh eat lots of fruit and veg and they always say fruit first don't they and so you're like boom i'm gonna just live on bananas and grapes and i'm gonna get this whole wheat bread and i'm gonna get this low low calorie peanut butter no sugar added, but what they don't understand is there's carbs in peanuts, and so that's sugar too. 
And so they literally are putting sugar on top of their sugar and having a glass of sugar with their sugar top sugar. And they can't lose weight. And that's why. Yes. Thank you for explaining this. And what do you think for, like, I liked what you said around feeling hungry all the time. So can you explain a little bit more what's happening with people who just feel like they can't get enough food? Yeah. So there are, there are hormones that are, their job is to tell you when you're hungry and when you're full. And when you're eating this processed diet, like I've been talking about, your leptin and ghrelin, which are the two hormones that are really mainly in charge of your appetite, they're chronically tweaked in the wrong direction. Only when you eat a, a, a meal that's, that's high in protein and high in fat, do you tweak your leptin and ghrelin and you kind of put them in the sweet spot where you're, you feel very full and then you're not hungry again for many hours. That, and so when, when you fast for four hours in between a meal, your insulin has time to actually dip back down into the normal range. So you're actually able to burn some fat for fuel. And that's, that's a very powerful thing. And intermittent fasting is a big part of what I do because it, it's so easy to, to go for hours and hours without eating when you've just eaten a, a, a ketogenic meal that's full of fat and protein. But when you're eating a plant-based, high-carbohydrate diet, carbs don't satiate you. And I've actually read articles where nutritionists said, oh, potatoes are very satiating. They, they keep you full for a long time. They say that about oatmeal. They say that about rice. And I'm thinking, you know, I used to eat that stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't know what planet you're on, <laughs> but the planet I live on, if I eat the biggest bowl of rice I can hold, I mean, there's, there's the joke about the Chinese restaurant. You go eat as much as you can hold and you're hungry in two hours. That's not from the MSG. That's because you ate this huge carbohydrate load, which did not give you any signals of satiety. You burn through the carbohydrates, you store a bunch of it as fat, you're hungry again in two or three hours. So there are hormones in charge of your hunger and of your satiety. But if you don't eat the proper human diet, which is a diet rich in healthy fat and rich in healthy proteins, you never get those hunger hormones, and that's the satiety hormones, in the sweet spot. So you can actually burn fat. Thank you. And so what have you noticed with, like, when you shifted from, from standard American diet, I guess, to you were, like, low-carb paleo to keto, what have you noticed with your satiation signals? So my entire life, I've been a breakfast eater. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't leave my grandmother's house without eating breakfast. It was mandatory. She'd give you a spanking if you tried to not eat breakfast, right? You know? So I was trained from birth. You've got to eat at least three meals a day. And, and then, it, you know, it's also good for a, a, for a boy to be hungry and to just eat a lot because that's how you grow into be a big man. And turns out that's right. I was 297 pounds at my heaviest. So that, that worked out well. So if you want to be a big man or big woman, eat three meals a day with three snacks in between and it'll get you there in just a few years. But so when I, so when I went paleo, I was still eating too many carbohydrates. I didn't know that at the time. But as I lowered the carbohydrates, I noticed that when I would wake up in the morning, I wasn't hungry. I didn't really have to eat breakfast. And so I think Jason Fung says it brilliantly. He, you know, people are trying to lose weight. So we tell them instead of eating three times a day, you should eat six times a day. How does that make any sense? So I want to lose weight so I should eat more. No, that's dumb, right? And so when that's, that really took me to the next level of fat loss 
when I was eating keto and I said, you know, I'm just going to skip breakfast because mornings are a very busy time with kids and the, the office and, and work. So I just started skipping breakfast. And, and you can't do that if you're eating a high carbohydrate diet. You'd be hangry, right? You'd be starving. You couldn't even focus on work because you're so hungry. But I would get up in the morning, make a cup of coffee, maybe put a, a teaspoon of butter in it. And we can talk about that hack later. And then I would sip on my coffee and I wouldn't eat anything at all until lunch. And even at lunchtime, I wasn't really hungry, but I'd be like, well, it's lunch. I mean, you're, you know, normal people will eat. So I need to eat lunch. And so I would eat lunch, but it would be a low carb lunch. And then I wouldn't be hungry again until 6 or 7 p.m. Then I would eat, a, you know, a low carb dinner and I would be done. And so I would stop eating about 7 p.m., 8 at the latest. And then I wouldn't eat again until noon the next day. And that just, because I was eating a low carb, high fat diet, that was very easy. And it just kind of naturally happened. I wasn't trying to intermittent fast. Does that make sense? Makes sense. It just happened naturally. And so when you're fasting for, for 14, 16, 18 hours a day, your insulin level, remember that insulin level, it stays very low normal for hours and hours and hours. Now your body has to run on some sort of fuel. You have to have fuel. So when you're eating carbohydrates every two hours, you just run on, you run on sugar. But when you stop that and start eating a high fat, low carbohydrate diet and you start fasting, you run out of the carbohydrates very quickly. Well, how, but yet you don't get hungry. So what's going on there? So when, when you eat keto, what it, one of the things it does is your body actually starts to produce something called ketone bodies or ketones. Your body can burn those for fuel, just like it burns sugar. And that's how you burn fat. You break up the fat down into fatty acids. They're, they're converted into ketones. Then you burn those for fuel. That's how you burn fat. That's actually how you lose weight. But it's like, even though if you go back to the, the basic physiology textbook, it's in there. And so my first year in med school, when I was taking physiology and biochemistry, I actually learned everything I needed to know about a ketogenic diet. It's all in the books. But then for the remainder of my medical training, all I heard was eat whole wheat, avoid saturated fat, and jog. And so I forgot the basic science, like I think most doctors and healthcare providers, we forget about our basic physiology course where it explains about ketones and ketone bodies. It's in my, it was in my uh, biochemistry book and my organic chemistry book back in undergrad. But you never hear about that, so you just think, oh, eat whole grains and avoid bacon and jog. That's how you lose weight. When, in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, and where did that even, like, if, I don't know if you can explain a little bit of well, where that even came from. <clears throat> where did the whole grains come from? Where did people say stop eating saturated fat? And yeah, it's, it's really, it, it's, it's just the most amazing story. Uh, Gary Taubes writes about it in his book uh, about sugar. Nina Teicholtz really describes it well in her book, The Big Fat Surprise. So if anybody wants to know how in the hell did we come to believe that eating a low fat, high carbohydrate diet would help you lose weight? Where did that come from? They both tell that story brilliantly in their books, but you can sum it up briefly by saying that a scientist by the name of Ansel Keys, he had a hypothesis that, that eating cholesterol and eating saturated fat was what led to heart disease, okay? And he was very influential in, in science at that time. He's actually the guy that invented the K-ration that all the military ate, right? 
it, the K is for keys, K ration, Ansel Keys. And so he was very well respected by government and by universities. And his hypothesis basically just became the myth, the fad that was believed by everyone in academia and in the military and in government based on nothing, based on no meaningful research, based on no randomized control trials, that just became the common belief. It was just known. Even though it was never proven, it just became known. And so if you're gonna eat a very low fat diet, then you're gonna to have to eat a lot of food in order to, to feel full, right? And so, well, of course we don't wanna eat highly processed white bread. So that's where, oh no, you want stone ground whole wheat bread. Oh, see, just saying it, it sounds healthier, doesn't it? But really, there's no difference. It would be like saying, oh, you don't want to smoke crack. You don't want to do that. You want to, you want to only smoke the, the organic non-GMO crack. It's brown. It's not white. So it's better. And you could just see drug addicts going, oh, yeah, organic crack. That sounds like that's probably healthier. It's, it's still crack. Don't smoke either one, right? The same goes for grains, whether it's white rice or brown rice. doesn't matter. Whether it's whole wheat, brown bread, or highly processed white bread, all of it breaks down into sugar, just like crack and, and organic crack break down in cocaine. It's the same stuff. There's no difference. But we got, we got very far off course with what our ancestors used to eat back when they were very robust, very muscular. Nobody was fat. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the old videos from the 1920s, like in New York, of just people walking around. But you can search on, on YouTube for 1920s street video. And there's actually video from the 1920s and 1930s. And there'll be two or 300 people walking around. There's not a single overweight person. Or maybe one person out of the entire 200 people is a little bit overweight. But there's nobody who's morbidly obese. It just didn't exist back then. What changed? Well, what changed was Ansel Keys' hypothesis, which became the, the widespread belief in the scientific community and the nutrition community that whole wheat is good, saturated fat is bad. And from that, everything else came. Thank you for explaining that. And for people who are still convinced that saturated fat is bad, um, can you explain a little bit? Like, I know you said in your book, your book is awesome. It's called Lies My Doctor Told Me, but why saturated fat is not bad. It might be one of our healthiest sources of fuel. Absolutely. So human beings as the species, Homo sapiens sapien, we've been eating as much fatty meat as we could get our hands on. So we've been eating a saturated fat rich diet for at least 200,000 years. And if you want to talk about hominids, which are our ancestors, we've been eating saturated fatty meat for 2.4 million years. You see, so that's our ancestral diet. We, we ate as much fatty meat as we could get our hands on. We ate brains, which are high, super high in fat. We ate bone marrow, which is super high in fat. And if we couldn't get any of that, sure, we would eat some plants, no doubt. When the berries were ripe in the late summer and early fall, definitely we ate berries, no doubt about that. And the reason we ate berries is because they're high in sugar. And that would help us gain five or 10 pounds of fat for the winter so that we didn't starve to death during the winter. We would have some stored energy in case we needed it. That's why berries are ripe in the fall, so the animals can eat them and spread the seeds and also put on five or 10 pounds of fat for the winter. That's why we do that. And so eating fruits every day, eating bananas every morning and, and grapes for lunch every day, that's first of all, not ancestrally appropriate at all. 
We never did that ever. Even if you lived at the equator, you didn't do that every single day. The fruit comes in seasons. And so we would eat it seasonally, but we also had a motive to gain fat when we ate the fruit. So the saturated fat, first of all, has been in our diet ever since we've been on this planet. So then to come up in the 1960s, 1950s and 60s and say, oh, no, wait, saturated fat is bad for you. Well, based on what? And so I've got a YouTube video about it. I actually have two now that, that there, there's actually been con randomized control trials in human beings where if you, if you, trans, if you supplement and say, okay, we're going to take away all the saturated animal fat out of your diet, no more bacon, no more butter, no more egg yolks, and we're going to use vegetable oil instead right? That sounds very healthy to most people. Oh yeah, you should stop the saturated animal fat and use vegetable oil in all three of these. And these are not observational studies. These were randomized controlled trials in human beings. The shortest one was two years long and all three studies had hundreds of people in there. So these are, these are the best scientific study you can do. All three of them showed that if you replace saturated animal fat with vegetable oil, People have more heart attacks. People have more plaque buildup in their heart arteries. They have more cancer and they die sooner. And these, these are the best studies that you could do in science. And so this is back in the 60s. These scientists, that they believed that vegetable oil, that's why they did the study was to prove that vegetable oil was better than saturated fat from animal foods. And when they got their data back and they crunched the numbers, can you imagine? They're like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And so either they just didn't publish the results or they would publish it in some foreign language journal in Scandinavia somewhere. And there was no internet back then. So if you put it, so they, because there's really kind of an ethical requirement in science that if you do a, re, a study and you get data, you really should publish that somewhere. You shouldn't hide that, right? That That's ethical. And so, Two of the studies, they did that. They published it in some Norwegian language, Scandinavian medical journal, knowing that nobody in America would ever read that. And so they, they upheld their ethical end. It was published. One study, he just didn't publish anything. He literally put it in his basement. And a, a dietary, a nutrition researcher contacted his son after he had retired and after he had passed away and said, there was a study done. And the, the results are nowhere to be found. And the guy said, I think my dad's got a box of magnetic tapes. I think they're still in the basement. Let me go check. And he went and checked. And sure enough, there were all the results from the study. And when they crunched the numbers, vegetable oils were much more dangerous for human beings than the ancestrally appropriate saturated fat from animal foods. Every single study showed that without doubt. Placking in the arteries was worse with vegetable oils. They actually had more heart attacks with vegetable oil. They had a much higher rate of cancer with vegetable oil instead of saturated animal fat. And they died sooner if they were eating vegetable oils versus saturated animal fat. Saturated animal fats like bacon grease and beef tallow and bison tallow, these are our ancestral foods. It would be exactly the same thing if I said, oh, Ellie, breathing now, we just discovered breathing is bad for you. You should stop breathing. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Or if I said, oh, we just discovered water is, is very dangerous. There's two, there's two atoms of hydrogen in every molecule of water. Hydrogen's explosive. You should stop drinking water. You'd be like, 
are you joking? That it's exactly as dumb for me to tell you to stop breathing or to stop drinking water as it is for me to tell you to stop eating saturated animal fat. We have been doing all three of those things for 2.4 million years. They are all three just as natural for human beings. So to tell people starting in the 50s and 60s, oh, you need to stop the, the beef tallow, stop the bacon grease, definitely stop the butter, you need to use canola oil or soybean oil or cottonseed oil. That was the extraordinary claim. And they, sh they should have been forced to produce randomized controlled trials to prove that before it was ever allowed to be put in the modern diet. But no one, no one took them to task. No one made them prove their, their hypothesis. So it just became accepted dogma. Isn't that a crazy story? Yes. And then does the food industry love it because they get to of sell course. it? Of course. Yeah, and so that's, a, that's another great point. So the food industry, they make their biggest markup if they're able to make something out of ground-up grain, whether it's rice, oats, wheat, or corn, doesn't matter to them. Because there are so many government subsidies to grow those things, they can buy, they can buy corn or wheat or rice or oats very, very cheaply, right? So it's some kind of grain with a little bit of sugar, and then some kind of vegetable oil. Again, the vegetable oil crops like canola, uh, corn oil, soybean oil, they get subsidies as well. So again, they can get these oils super cheap. So you mix a grain with a vegetable oil and a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, boom. You've either got a tortilla shell, you've got a jelly donut, you've got a pizza crust, you've got a piece of bread. They can make a higher percentage markup on, on any product made of those three ingredients than they can anything else. They can, you can't make nearly the markup on eggs or butter or ribeye. You just, you're going to make 10% markup on that. But if you make something out of grains and seed oils and sugar, you can make a thousand, two thousand, five thousand percent profit on that because you essentially get all the ingredients for free. Right? So what do you think, Big Food? You think they'd mother, rather make a 10% markup on a ribeye or a, a 5,000% markup on two slices of whole wheat bread? Yes. Yeah. And I guess for, for someone asking, like, well, what if I just eat no fat? <laughs> so if, I, if I'm not sure about the saturated fat from, from meats, can you explain, like, the, on a cellular level why we do need fat and why like what yeah. vegetable oil is doing if you're eating it? Sure. So there's a list of essential fatty acids that human beings, our body cannot make them, but they are essential for life. And so if you were to, to say, I'm not going to eat any fat whatsoever because I don't know if vegetable fat's better because Dr. Berry doesn't confuse me. I don't, I, I've been told all my life animal fats are bad. So I'm not going to eat either one. And you just ate a fat-free diet, 100% fat-free you would get sick, you would suffer, and you would die in a few months because you have to have fatty acids or you will die. The same goes from, for amino acids, from proteins. If you're like, I'm only going to eat, I'm going to eat straight vegan. This is why vegans have so much trouble with their hair, and their skin, and their teeth falling out. And they, they, they lose muscle mass like crazy because there are essential amino acids that come from proteins and there are essential amino acids that you can only find in animal meat, animal, animal foods, right? And so that's why the average vegan weighs 110 pounds as a man, 
or 70 pounds as a woman is because they're wasting away. Their bones are getting weaker, their teeth are falling out, their hair's falling out, their skin's getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and they're losing muscle. We have to have fatty acids. We have to have amino acids. Now, what's essential in a carbohydrate? We, are there essential sugars or essential grains or essential carbohydrates? No, there aren't. If you never ate another gram of carbohydrate for the rest of your entire life, you would be just fine. And so when you look at it like that, you're like, so there are essential fats I have to have. There are essential amino acids, proteins I have to have, but I never have to eat a carbohydrate and I can be perfectly healthy. That kind of that lets the cat out of the bag right there, doesn't it? <laughs> And so, yeah, what, what had you go from, from keto to carnivore to give up all? So, so I saw uh, this crazy guy by the name of Sean Baker. You maybe heard of him. I don't know. And he was, he's a carnivore. He'd been a carnivore for over two years. And I'm like, how does he get vitamin C? You know, because I don't know yet. I don't know all this stuff. I'm still learning. I'm like, how does he, how do, what about all the phytonutrients? right? The magical phytonutrients in plants. How does he get those? And so I started looking into the carnivore diet. And lo and behold, there were blogs of people who had been a carnivore for 10, 15, 20 years. Some of them ate organ meat. Some of them didn't. Some of them literally lived on red meat and water and salt. That, that was the entirety of their diet for 20 years. And every single carnivore looked 10 to 15 years younger than their chronological age. They were all quite muscular, perhaps not as swole and jacked as Sean Baker, but they were, you, they just looked lean and muscular. And they, their hair was great and their teeth were all still intact and their skin looked great and they looked much younger than they should look for their age. And I thought, what the heck's going on here? So I got on my Facebook page and I did a little live and I said, hey guys, I'm gonna try the carnivore diet for a month. Who wants to do it with me? So I started it as a challenge, a month, just to, just to, for kicks and giggles, just to see what would happen. And so I told you earlier, I used to have severe heartburn, got 80% better on keto. After that month of carnivore, my heartburn was gone. And for anybody who's ever had severe daily heartburn, you know what a mouthful that is to say. That's a huge deal. Because when you've got severe heartburn, it affects everything. It affects you bending over to pick something up. It affects you speaking, swallowing, clearing your throat, uh, waking up in the middle of the night, choking. All this stuff happens with chronic reflux. After one month of carnivore, it was completely gone. I, I didn't take a, a Tums or a Rolaid that entire month. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? How does eating meat make my heart burn better? I don't get it. And I, I also lost another seven pounds of that month of carnivore. So I'm like, what is going on? It, it seems like the lower I turn my carbohydrate intake knob, the healthier I get. Cause I went from paleo, right? So maybe 150 grams of carbs to low carb, maybe 50 to 75 grams, then to keto down to 20 grams. And now carnivore as close to zero grams as you can turn the knob. And every, every step along the way, I got healthier, healthier, and healthier. And I don't just mean healthier that I lost fat, because I definitely did. I'm now 228, where I used to be 297. Everything, every problem I had got better and stayed better. So the, the prediabetes, the fatty liver, 
the reflux, the rosacea, which I now, it looks like I don't even have. I haven't put anything on my face in two years. Uh, the chronic joint pain, all these things just went back to normal. It was like I never had them. And for a doctor who, who's rediscovering the proper human diet as I go along, I'm always acutely aware. I'm always looking for bullshit, right? And I'm always looking for uh, anecdotal, like, oh, well, sure, it happened to this one guy but you can't hang your hat on that one guy, right? But then I, out of the woodwork come thousands of people saying, oh, you're doing the carnivore challenge. I've been a carnivore for two years. I've been a carnivore for seven years. I've been a carnivore for eight years. And they would send me before and after pictures. And so I was getting hundreds and hundreds and eventually thousands of people sending me the before and after saying, oh yeah, dude, I've been doing carnivore for 10 years. It's the best thing ever. So you can't just say then, well, let's just, it happened to some guy. You have to start saying this happened to thousands of people who did that. And so when you have a preponderance of anecdotal data like that, at some point you've got to go, maybe there's something scientific to this. And, and there's been no research done because you can imagine if you went, if you were a young Harvard professor, right? And you thought, you know, I bet there's, nutritional benefits to eating eating bacon and butter. I'm gonna do a study. And you went to your chairman at the Department of Nutrition and said, Dr. Willett, I wanna do a study. I wanna put people on a, on a diet where they eat 12 pieces of bacon and a half pound of butter every day. And I wanna study them for a year and see what happens. Uh, Dr. Walter Willett, not only would he kick your ass out of his office, but you would lose your tenure and you would lose your, re your research grant and you would be looking for a job at the University of New Mexico or somewhere. You would no longer be working at the Harvard School of Public Health. You would be kicked out. And so that's why there's been no research done on keto, low-carb, carnivore, is because all the powers that be in the ivory tower believe that a plant-based diet is best. And they believe that every research dollar should be spent proving that a plant-based diet is best. So there's been no room for keto research. There's been, there's been no way for a researcher to do carnivore research because you got to have money to do research. If you're going to have 100 people in your study, you got to pay them. you got to buy their food. you got to pay two research assistants to help you crunch the numbers. If, unless you're a multimillionaire, you can't, you can't fund that yourself. You have to have a grant. And the only way to get a grant is if the people in power say, yeah, let's give that guy a grant to study whether eating bacon and butter is healthy. That grant's never gonna, you're never gonna get that. So there's, there hasn't been nearly enough research, but I'm satisfied by the tens of thousands of anecdotal studies I've seen out there of before and after pictures, of, of personal testimonials, of people I know, I've met them. I know they're not full of crap. They're not trying to sell a supplement. They're not trying to sell a, you know, a weight loss regimen. They're just literally, it's truck drivers and waitresses and hairdressers and, and nurse practitioners who say, no, I've been, I've been keto or carnivore for years. Here's my before picture and here's my after picture. I'm never hungry. I'm always happy. I sleep like a baby. You know, every, I, I do everything that you do in the bedroom works very well. Thank you very much. It's all great, right? And so you can only hear that so many thousands of times before you go, you know, I think there's something to this proper human diet thing. And I think it, I think it gives humans optimal health to eat the proper human diet. Hmm, what a concept. Yes. And what do you say to people who then come back to you and are like, like on the plant-based side and, and 
say, you know, when we need fiber, what about the microbiome? Like, what do you say? Yeah, yeah. So there have actually been carnivores who have sent stool samples off and, and had their gut biome checked. And they actually have way more diversity in their gut bacteria than people who are eating a plant-based diet. And I've seen, I've seen at least 30 cases of that where somebody who's been a carnivore for a year or two, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought to send off a, you know, a poop sample. I'll do that. Yeah, it's only a hundred bucks. I'm going to do that. And when they get the results back, it's beautiful. Like there is such a diverse array of, of bacteria in their gut, way more than anybody, any report I've ever seen from somebody on a plant-based diet. So in theory, eating a high fiber diet, eating the rainbow, eating all these different fruits and vegetables, in theory, that should work. But in actual practice, carnivores have a much more diversified gut bacteria and far fewer gut symptoms. It's almost unheard of for a carnivore to have irritable bowel syndrome or chronic constipation or, or IBS with diarrhea or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. They, they maybe used to have that, but as a carnivore, their symptoms are completely and totally gone. Again, is there some magic in eating meat or is eating a meat heavy diet actually the proper human diet? And the reason that we have epidemics of irritable bowel syndrome and disease, of ulcerative colitis, of Crohn's, of chronic constipation, is, is all that stuff caused by eating a high fiber grain filled, carbohydrate filled diet? I don't know, we'll see. Yes. Thank you. And I guess, what do you say when people come to you and ask about the cholesterol part of this? Yeah. So the, 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 the whole cholesterol thing is based on you should avoid animal saturated fat and you should avoid eating cholesterol. Right. So, but I've already, I've already told you there are three randomized controlled trials in human beings of hundreds of people that went for the minimum was two years. One of them ran for seven years. They proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that replacing animal fats with vegetable fats always results in worse complications, earlier death, more cancer, more heart attacks. So if it's not the animal fat, then what is it? Because saturated animal fat, that's the worst. That's what we're taught, right? But now a good friend of mine, Dave Feldman, he has a website called cholesterolcode.com. There was a huge study a medical study years ago called the NHANES, N-H-A-N-E-S, NHANES. And it collected all this data on thousands of people for years and years and years. They checked their cholesterol, they checked their blood sugars, they checked all this stuff. And they were trying to prove that a low fat diet full of whole grains is very good for you, right? Well, they would never release the actual raw data of NHANES. And we're like, that, that was actually paid for by public money. The federal government sponsored that. So how is that not public knowledge? But they were very reticent to release the data. Well, Dave Feldman finally got a, a, a copy of the raw data. And guess what? When he plugged in everybody and, and you stratify them by how much saturated fat they eat, uh, how, how high their total cholesterol was, lo and behold, the people with higher cholesterols live longer and you're like wait what yeah yeah go to cholesterolcode.com follow dave feldman f-e-l-d-m-a-n on twitter he's posting about this all the time the a higher cholesterol especially in women is actually very very protective 
against cancer and all-cause mortality. That means from dying for any reason. The higher your cholesterol is, the longer you're going to live. Definitely in women, probably in men too. So having a high cholesterol, that's actually a good thing. Pro probably, not a bad thing. And more and more so, people in the keto community, are we've stopped calling LDL cholesterol the bad cholesterol. We call LDL cholesterol the other good cholesterol. So you got the good cholesterol and the other good cholesterol because they don't hurt you. Uh, Dr. David Diamond is a PhD researcher at the University of South Florida. He's been working as a lipid researcher for decades. He's got great videos on YouTube that explain why a high LDL means nothing. You shouldn't take a statin drug to lower your LDL. It doesn't help you at all. It increases your risk of side effects and feeling crummy every day, but it's not gonna protect you from a heart attack or a stroke. All these things are myth. All these things are fads. And you would think that doctors and professors wouldn't be susceptible to fads and myths, but you gotta understand no matter how long the white coat is that the doctor's wearing, he's still just a human being, just like you. He or she's just as susceptible to falling for bullshit, for falling for a fad, for falling for a myth and saying, oh yeah, the sun causes skin cancer and saturated fat causes heart disease and whole wheat, whole wheat bread is good for you. Those are all fads. They've never been proven by any science, yet all the professors and all the, the preeminent doctors and nutrition researchers believe it. And what do you, what do we look at then for, so like if we have a blood work panel, what do we want to look at to make sure we're not having a metabolic disease or yeah. Yeah. What, what markers should we be looking at? So the most important markers that you can have checked are your hemoglobin A1C. That's going to tell you what your blood sugar has been doing for the last three months. Very, very important marker. The next is a C peptide. This is going to tell you what your insulin level has been doing for the last couple of days. Very important. The next is triglycerides. Okay, that's part of the lipid panel, but it's triglycerides. A lot of doctors will tell you if your triglycerides are high, oh, you're eating too much saturated fat. But again, this, this, is, this gives you a heads up that the doctor who just said that has completely forgotten their biochemistry and their physiology because it don't work like that. What makes your triglycerides go up is eating carbohydrates, eating too much sugar, eating too, too many donuts. That's what causes high triglycerides. So you definitely want to have a normal triglyceride. The next is an HDL cholesterol. You want it to be as high as you can possibly get it. If you're not eating enough fatty meat, if you're not being active enough, you'll have a low HDL, and that's actually dangerous. Those are by far the most important metabolic markers that you can have checked. Now, there are hundreds of other tests that we could talk about that do have some merit, but if you only had enough money to check five tests, that'd be the test I would check. Okay, thank you. And what do you find with people who, especially for women, going, like trying to get their cholesterol really low on statin drugs? Like what does that do to their neurochemistry? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, a woman who's slender especially, and but yet has high LDL or high total cholesterol, taking a statin, she is raising her blood sugar every time she takes a statin, which is a big deal, right? She's lowering her testosterone every time she takes the statin, which is a big deal, even for women. Women need testosterone, okay? All of the, the sex hormones are made from cholesterol. So when you're taking a cholesterol-lowering drug, you're also lowering your hormones. 
by definition. There's no way to argue that. When she takes a statin, she is, she is lowering her levels of coenzyme Q10, which is a big deal for brain function, for muscle function, for muscle pain. She is, she's messing with her electrolytes. There's a whole list of things that you need, supplements you need to take if you're gonna take a statin. It's, it's terrible. I mean, they're, they're very, um, I don't wanna say dangerous, but they're very worrisome drugs. And if you're not aware of all the supplements you should be taking, if you take a statin, I got a YouTube video about that. But, but I mean, that's a big deal. And so I would, as, as a woman who's slender, I would much rather her eat bacon and eggs every morning and never take that statin drug again. That's gonna help her live longer. That's gonna help her have a stronger bone density because guess what happens when your testosterone level's too low? You get osteopenia, which eventually leads to osteoporosis, right? Testosterone is, has a huge function in keeping your bone density where it needs to be. Testosterone plays, in men and women, it plays a huge role in your, the amount of muscle mass that you hold for both men and women. And so as people get older, sarcopenia or the loss of muscle, that's a huge marker that of all cause mortality. The less muscle you're holding, the more likely you are to die. If you're taking a statin, you're lowering your cholesterol, you're lowering your testosterone, and you're raising your blood sugar, you're going to lose muscle. You're going to lose bone. And so then you're frail, fragile, you fall, break a hip, that's it. You're done. Your life's over. And I'm not saying the statin drug, the cholesterol-lowering drug is 100% to blame for that. I'm saying it does play a part. And on top of, even if someone's not on the statin drug, but just not eating cholesterol or not eating yeah, saturated fat. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to eat your saturated fat. That is a proper human food. Thank you. And I guess diving more into the hormones, the, the TSH part of your book was really, um, really hit home with me. I had thyroid issues. I see clients every day with hypothyroid. And that exactly <laughs> like what you wrote was only had their TSH checked. And yep. just handed Synthroid or handed yep. something. So could you speak to that? Like what's going on here? Yeah. So when I was, when I was in my residency training, that's when Synthroid was, that was the only thyroid replacement hormone on the market. There was armor in nature, but the Synthroid company did a great job of casting doubt on armor. That's where the myth that armor is inconsistent. You, a lot of people have heard that if they, if they're, if they're in the thyroid community, uh, the Synthroid company started that rumor. They paid for that rumor to be started, okay? They were trying to put Armour out of business. They wanted to be the only pill on the block for hypothyroid, right? And so when I was a resident physician, our sample closet, like there was one entire wall that was nothing but all the different dosage strengths of Synthroid, name brand Synthroid. And so if you, if I, I was trained as a baby doctor from my infancy as a, an MD, if they've got low thyroid, there is only one thing that they will take. You will not even consider that. I was, I didn't even know there was such a thing as armor until I was out in practice. And I had a patient come to me and say, no, I don't like Synthroid or, or Levothyroxine. I like armor better. It's more natural. And I'm like, what's armor? Like back in 2002, that's a literal true story. That happened. I had no idea what armor was, nature, desiccated thigh. I had no idea. So I had, to, I had to go back and become a student again and go, what's this armor crap I keep hearing about, right? Because I talked to my local pharmacist and he said, no, there's a lot of people who, who love armor 
and, it, and say it works much better for them than levothyroxine because Synthroid or levothyroxine is fake T4. That's what it is. Whereas Armour and Nature are real T3 and real T4 plus T1 and T2 and T0, which nobody even knows about. But it's actually real thyroid replacement hormone. So it fits into the molecule better. And the way the thyroid physiology works is your thyroid makes T4, but that's not what your body uses. Your body has to convert it into T3. Then that's what your body uses as thyroid hormone. So if you're giving people fake T4 and they have a T4 to T3 conversion problem, you didn't help their hypothyroidism at all, did you? They're still deficient in, in free T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. What if they have a problem where when they convert T4, instead of converting it to T3, they convert it to reverse T3, which is inactive in the human body? Well, you're giving them fake T4, which first of all, is not going to be converted as well as real, real T4, but then it's converted to reverse T3. And you didn't give them any real T3, so they're still T3 deficient. So even though they may be taking a huge dose of levothyroxine or synthroid, they're still having severe hypothyroid symptoms. That makes sense? And so the thyroid, the way the thyroid produces thyroid hormone functions in the human body is actually quite complicated. And most primary care doctors won't even attempt to understand it. They'll just refer you to endocrinology. And if you go to endocrinology with low thyroid symptoms, they're going to check a TSH and maybe a free T4, maybe. And that's it. And, basically, and then if either of those are abnormal, they're going to put you on Synthroid, and that's the end of the story. Then every month to three months, they'll adjust your Synthroid up or down until they not get you feeling better. That's not a goal. Their goal is to get your, your lab numbers within range. Once they get your lab numbers within range, even if you're still severely depleted in T3, because they don't check T3, remember? They just check a free T4. So they're blind to your severe T3 deficiency. And now they say, no, I fixed your thyroid problem. And you're like, yeah, but I'm still depressed and, and fatigued and, I, and my hair's falling out. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you. Go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. that's, that's literally how it's happening right now. And that's why I, I really part of my crusade is, is the hypothyroid because people are so miserably mistreated who have hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That's why I put a chapter in the book about it because it's, it's repulsive how the, the medical community treats people with hypothyroid. I've got your lab numbers normal. Now, if you're not feeling normal, then you're either crazy or you're menopausal or you're, you need some Prozac, Zoloft, I don't know, but, but you need to go. You see, it's like that. I mean, how offensive, how, I don't even, I mean, I, it makes me want to cuss. It's maddening. It's, it's maddening. It's, 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 it's egregious. It's embarrassing as a doctor for other doctors to treat patients like that. But it happens every single day in clinics all across the world. So what does someone do if they have thyroid symptoms, but they go to the doctor, they get their TSH checked, and it's in range, so then they're told, like, nothing yep. wrong with your thyroid. Your thyroid's fine. It's all in your head. Yeah. You're, you're just crazy. I don't know. So you go to a website called Stop the Thyroid Madness. That's an excellent, excellent website for people with low thyroid symptoms. And so I don't mean if you've been diagnosed with hypothyroidism. I mean if you just have low thyroid symptoms. Because in all probability, you went to your doctor with th low thyroid symptoms, and your doctor checked the TSH only. 
especially primary care. And they said, no, your, your thyroid's fine. I don't know. Here's some Prozac. Here's some Cymbalta. I don't know what to tell you. You haven't had your thyroid thoroughly investigated. Not even close. There's a full panel of thyroid labs. And they're listed in my YouTube videos about thyroid health, but also at Stop the Thyroid Madness. And I don't, that's not my website. I don't get any kickback from that. But it's, it is the best website in the world for someone who has low thyroid symptoms who's being chewed away by their doctor. You need the full panel checked, and you need a doctor who will know how to interpret that full panel. They actually have a list of doctors on that website. But also, I've got a video on my YouTube channel called How to Find a Low-Carb Doctor Near You. Most doctors who understand low-carb and keto and carnivore are also going to understand, at least in part, how to treat a low thyroid patient, right? So find somebody off my video or find somebody off uh, Stop the Thyroid Madness website. I don't care if you have to drive three hours. I promise you it will be worth it once you get your thyroid properly adjusted. It's, it's literally like I've had women tell me it's like I woke from the dead. That's what a huge difference it makes in your life. Okay, thank you for this. And what kind of foods as far as like things like gluten and, and these like plant, like plant foods that drive yep. Hashimoto's and drive hypothyroid? So all of the grains have proteins in them that are inflammatory in the human body. And so if you're eating a lot of inflammatory grains, that's gonna, that's gonna piss off your immune system. It's gonna confuse your immune system. And so having an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, that doesn't mean that your immune system is too strong, which is what most doctors say. It's, your immune system's not too strong, it's just confused. You want a strong immune system, that's a good thing. But you want it to also be wise and intelligent. You don't want it to be attacking your cells. You want it to be attacking bacteria and virus. Well, you've confused your own immune system so much that it has mistakenly attacked a group of cells in your thyroid gland. That's what Hashimoto's thyroiditis is. So anytime you're eating an inflammatory diet, you're increasing your risk of developing an autoimmune condition. An autoimmune condition is caused by a confused, inflamed immune system. That's what causes them. And that's indeed, that's why we have an epidemic of autoimmune conditions now. Even 20, 30 years ago, it was almost unheard of to, for someone to have an autoimmune condition. A, a family doctor in a small practice might have one or two patients in their entire practice who had an autoimmune condition. And now a third. Uh, maybe a half of our patients are suffering from at least one, if not multiple, autoimmune conditions. And it's all caused by the inflammatory nature of the grains and of the vegetable seed oils. That's what's causing it all. Thank you. And I guess from your personal experience with, or with your, with your patients, have you seen a lot of transformations with going keto or carnivore? Yeah. When someone removes all grains from their diet, when someone removes all low-fat or skim dairy products from their diet, when they remove all sugars, whether natural or added, doesn't matter, from their diet, and they remove all of the industrial vegetable oils. And if you don't know what all those are, I got a YouTube video that tells you, right? <laughs> but but it's when you remove all that stuff from your diet, like magic, autoimmune conditions, I'm not saying it cures them. That's not what I'm saying. But 
you, 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 you transform from having these severe flare-ups and these frequent flare-ups of autoimmune diseases to having a very rare flare-up that's very mild. It's like they, they just almost go into remission. And so if the same goes for gout, the same goes for migraine headaches, the same goes for all the bowel complaints. When you remove all those things from your diet, you may still have a touch of Crohn's or a touch of uh, thyroiditis, or, a, or you may, definitely you're still gonna have lupus, but instead of having to take infusions constantly because you're having severe flare-ups several times a year, you transform into this person who has a little mild flare-up once a year, and it's no big deal. And you just lose, it's like, man, who cares? I'm definitely not gonna go and have a monthly infusion because of one small flare-up a year. I'm just gonna get on with my life and actually enjoy it for a change. Yes, thank you, Dr. Kid. And um, I also wanted to ask you about, for just like neurological disorders, ADHD, autism, um, how this can impact the brain. Yeah, so when you're eating inflammatory foods, why would you not think that that inflammation is going to reach your brain? Of course it is, right? We have a blood-brain barrier, but many of these particles can go straight across the blood-brain barrier and cause inflammation in your brain. And indeed, when people convert to a ketogenic diet that's full of fatty meat, or they convert to a carnivore diet, their severity of their depression gets better. The severity of their anxiety becomes less severe their OCD, their ADD. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's seen the, the, the movie, what was it called about the, the high-fat diet where the poor little autistic girl, she couldn't even say one word. And after a few months of getting all of the grains and, and seed oils and sugar out of her mouth, she was eating with a spoon and talking in complete sentences. That's what I'm talking. I mean, it was like a miracle, but it's not a miracle. Because what we're doing when you convert to a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet, what you're doing is removing all of the slow poison from your diet. And so, yeah, if you're poisoning your neighbor's dog, your neighbor's dog's going to be very sick and have a terrible coat, terrible skin, is going to have no energy, is going to be throwing up and having diarrhea all the time. But if you stop poisoning the dog, what happens? Is it a miracle that the dog gets better? That's not a miracle. It's common sense. You stop poisoning the damn dog, so the dog got better. That's the same thing that happens to human beings. When you stop poisoning human beings with a high-carbohydrate, inflammatory, modern diet, and you start feeding us the diet that we've eaten for the last 2.4 million years, you stop poisoning us. So is it miraculous that we start to heal and get healthier? No, it's common sense. Yes, thank you. I love that analogy. <laughs> so good. And I guess a little kind of shifting gears for people who are like, believe what you're saying, but are like, well, what about sustainability? Like, what about ethics and animals? What do you, how do you speak to that? Well, and so if, if this person's saying, oh, all the cows are causing global warming, right? Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, three or 400 years ago, there were millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of bison roaming the, the Western Plains. Like it looked like an ocean of brown when, they, when, when a herd would go by. There were way more bison 
than there are cows in the United States. So right off the bat, there should have been global warming back then. Not to mention the fact that there used to be woolly mammoths, there used to be elephants all over the world, there used to be all these huge herbivores who eat lots of grass and they, they burp a lot and they fart a lot. So we actually have fewer of those large animals now than we had thousands of years ago. So how does it make sense that they're now contributing? That, that doesn't make any sense at all. If you know anything about natural history, you know that's, that's foolishness. So secondly, if you say, well, it takes, what is it, what do they say? 5,000 gallons of water to make one pound of beef or something. They're making up numbers because when you actually dig into those numbers, they're not accounting for rainfall. It's like, no, dude, it rains. And the cows drink that water too. So you can't act like, oh, we're just irrigating the pasture and we're irrigating the cows. There's no natural rainfall. All those numbers are made up. And, and I think the people who are giving you those numbers, they have good intentions. They truly believe that eating meat's gonna destroy the, the planet. They're not trying to trick you. They believe that with their heart of hearts, but they're still just wrong. And I, I mean, I, that's, that, that, that's kind of the limit of my expertise in that area, but there are many other experts who can just destroy their arguments. Just as soon as they bring them up, they can just rip them to shreds with facts. And, and with, with historical fact and with scientific fact, Eating animals is good for the planet because if I'm, just imagine me back when I was 297 pounds, pre-diabetic, heartburn every day, all that stuff I told you, how many pills a day did I, did I have to take? Quite a few. Where did those pills come from? A huge big pharma factory. Is that good for the environment? No. So what if I had progressed to type two and then I, I had a heart attack? Where, where am I gonna go? To this huge hospital have all these medical procedures, all these chemicals, all these, where did all that stuff come from? Is that, is that good for the planet? No. Making yourself healthier makes the planet healthier. Once you grasp that key fact, when you make your health better, you actually improve the health of the entire planet. That's big. When you, when you can see that paradigm, it makes the other paradigm seem silly in comparison. You're telling me to eat a diet that's not ancestrally appropriate for my species, to be sick, inflamed, diabetic, that's better for the planet than me eating meat and, and being 51, almost 52, act, uh, you know, look 40 and act 30, but that's worse for the planet? What? But we're human beings. What if killing and eating a gazelle what if that freaked the lion out? What if the lion was like, I can't, that's murder. And the lion tried to live on grass or wheat. <laughs> well, but it's, it's, it sounds like a joke, but yeah, thank you through. Really what would happen to really the lion? We actually have a great example of what would happen to the lion. We have house cats, right? And we tried to feed, we try to feed our house cats corn-based and soy-based kibble or pea protein-based kibble. Our house cats are 100% carnivore, just like the lion I was talking about. When you feed your house cat kibble made out of grains, what happens to them? They get fat, they get diabetic, and they get fatty liver. That's not their diet. The cat does not have guilty feelings about eating the bird or the mouse. That is their proper feline diet. And we as human beings, we've got to stop having guilt about eating what is our proper human diet. That is, we are omnivores 
at worst and carnivores at best. That's what we are. We, you got to face, look in the mirror and say, okay, I've, something's got to die for me to live. Because even if you're eating nothing but corn and wheat, thousands and thousands of mice died from pesticide to keep them out of the, the grain, right? Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of insects died, which are animals. Don't forget, insects are animals too. They died from pesticide or starvation if it's the Roundup stuff. They, we, we, so millions die for you to have your corn tortilla or for you to have your whole wheat bread. Life lives on death. That is, that is how all life is, I'm sorry. Whether you're a human or a cat or a, a goose or a bacteria, you live off the death of other things. That is the truth of life. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that is how it is. Yes, thank you for that perspective, for sure. And like, yeah, like eating a soy beyond burger, I'm sure there's thousands, thousands of mammals thousands. that have died through the plowing yep. of the soy fields and yep. all that. Yeah, absolutely. And you could say, well, I didn't kill them, but I, I mean, I, I didn't kill the the meat, the, the hamburger I ate a minute ago. So am I innocent? Because I think the vegans would tell me I'm guilty because I I ordered it done. Well, if you're having the farmer till up the soil, he's killing thousands of worms and aphids and, and, and then all the mice that would have eaten that, they've killed those, they've poisoned those. So you're killing millions, you're killing legions. So you can have your soy. I, I don't see the difference. Yeah, thank you, yeah. And, um, so I guess for people who are now interested in keto or carnivore and they may be on the standard American diet, what are the first steps that you would suggest someone take? Step one, stop all sugar, whether added sugar or natural sugar. Sugar is sugar. Your body can't tell the difference between the sugar from orange juice or the sugar from a Pepsi. Your body can't tell the difference. Stop all sugar. Step two, stop all grains. Wheat, rice, oats, and corn are the biggest ones, but also amaranth, millet, quinoa, all of them. All of them turn to sugar. Step three, stop all the industrial vegetable oils. They're all inflammatory. They're all bad for you. Step four, eat lots more fatty meat. And that can be seafood if you don't want to eat mammals, or that can be red meat if you don't mind eating mammals. So that, that's, that's literally the first four steps. And then you're going to start some intermittent fasting naturally because you're eating lots of fatty meat you're gonna be full and satiated and happy and you're not gonna be hungry every two hours. So step five is start doing some intermittent fasting and that'll come very easily once you're eating lots of fatty meat. And, and as you're doing those five steps and watching a few YouTube videos, maybe reading a book, maybe reading some blog posts, you'll learn more and more, but those are the first five steps. Those are the first five get out of jail steps to break the chains of your addiction to sugar, to carbs, to break the cycle of chronic inflammation, to break the cycle of diabetes and obesity and all the other chronic medical conditions we've talked about today, those five steps are gonna move you probably 60 or 70% back towards good health. Just those five steps. Yes, and a lot of the people on this podcast are like I was, sugar addicts, binge eaters. And so for someone, for you to be like, no more sugar, no more grains. Yep. I know. Um, I know. How do we, how do, I guess, what would you recommend for them to get through so, that? 
Yeah. So, and then, and let me tell you, if you're a sugar, sugar addict, you are going to have sugar withdrawal flu. There's no doubt about that. Just like when a smoker quits smoking, they actually talk about the quitter's flu. You feel like you're coming down with the flu. When an alcoholic goes to rehab and they're detoxing, they actually call it the quitter's flu. You feel like you're coming down with the flu. So people call it, now everybody calls it the keto flu, right? And, but that implies keto is causing it. It's not. What's causing it is your carbohydrate withdrawals. That's what it is. It's really carbohydrate quitter's flu. And that's what we should call it. So making sure you're getting plenty of salt, plenty of electrolytes, and eating plenty of fatty meat is going to help as much as can be helped. But just like if you're quitting smoking for three to 10 days, ain't nothing going to make that better. You, it's going to suck. You just got to break the addiction. If you're an alcoholic and you got to go to rehab for, for three to 10 days, that's going to suck because there's no pill that can give you. You're going to withdraw and it's going to suck real damn bad but it's, you're actually getting healthier, aren't you? Right? And so if someone came along and said, God, you're having terrible, uh, and that they would call it sobriety. You're having terrible sobriety flu. Here's a shot of whiskey. It'll make you feel so much better. Are they, are they doing that person a favor? Not at all, right? They're contributing to the problem. And so when you're having carbohydrate withdrawal flu, if your friend comes along and just says, just eat a cupcake, you'll feel better. That's exactly the same thing as offering the guy in rehab a shot of whiskey, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so once you understand 100% and you get it, I'm addicted. I am an addict. This is an addiction. Then it, it makes it you're okay with saying, okay, so if I was a smoker, I'm going to have to go through withdrawals to quit. On the other side of quitting is better health. So I know it's worth it, but it, withdrawal is going to suck. So I think just the understanding that, that you're, there's nothing wrong with keto. You're withdrawing from a habit-forming substance. That's called withdrawal, and that sucks. That's number one is understanding that and expecting it to happen and knowing what's going on when it does happen. I think that makes it a little less hard. Then getting plenty of salt seems to help. Getting plenty of electrolytes seems to help. And then also, if you're craving sweets, right, and you're also hungry at the same time, you're done. You're going you're gonna to go back, right? But if you're craving sweets, but you're stuffed with fatty meat, it's easier to fight that craving. And that's why I say, if you're hungry, eat some bacon. If you're hungry, eat some, eat some burger, eat some beef, eat some butter. Eat something that's full of fat and protein because that's going to turn off your hunger signals. Then all you have to fight is the addiction. And, and you can fight addiction successfully. People do it. It's hard, but you can do it. But no human can fight addiction and hunger with, with the fix being the, the damn muffin was going to fix them both at the same time. Nobody can fight that. So you've got to stay full of fatty meat while you're fighting and breaking the addiction. That helps a lot. Yes. Thank you. And what would you say for, for things like stevia and, and like those kind of sweeteners? What do you believe around those? There seems to be two kinds of people. For some people, using the, the keto-approved artificial sweeteners seems to help. For other people, it seems to, to reawaken the addiction. And so you kind of have to know which kind of person you are. I'm a teetotaler, right? I've got to quit it. Uh, 
uh, Ben Bickman sent me his new, some samples of his new protein shake, which is awesome. The ingredients are spectacular, but it's sweet enough, it triggers me. And so I, I tried it for lunch and I'm like, dude, I'm starving. I would literally, if there was some, if there was some Fruit Loops in the house, I would eat them right now. Like it immediately triggered me. Whereas my wife is, is more of a moderator. Nisha is a moderator. She can use stuff like that to kind of slowly wean down and that works for her. But for me, I can't, I can't have sweet taste in my mouth or it calls up my demons and I'm looking for the lucky charms. Yes, this is perfect. I relate to that. And so what do you, if you could just tell us what you eat on like, what what do you eat today or what do you eat on a normal day? <clears throat> so uh, today I had six egg yolks and about three egg whites, two pounds of ground beef. Uh, and then for dessert, I had a, a big hunk of uh, hard Parmesan cheese. That was my dessert. And that was, that was my first meal of the day. I had that about 2 p.m. That's usually when I break my fast is about two or three. Uh, if I get hungry again, and I don't mean bored, I don't mean uh, irritated, I mean truly hungry, I'll eat a second time, about six or seven. If, I, if, if six or seven rolls around and my stomach doesn't alert me that I'm truly hungry, I'll keep right on doing what I'm doing until bedtime and I'll go to bed happy. Now, for somebody who's still eating a high carb standard diet, they're like, is this guy from Mars? What are you talking about if you get hungry? What do you mean if, right? Trust me, once you're eating enough fatty meat or, or, or keto foods and you're fat adapted and you've gotten your hormones, including your insulin, tweaked back to where they belong, that becomes possible. Eating for me now, instead of being a, this, this rapturous pleasure, is almost an annoyance. It's like, oh, crap, I was going to make a video, but kind of hungry. I guess I better eat, right? And so I tell people, if eating is your biggest pleasure of the day, you need to reassess your life. Eating should not be the biggest pleasure of your day. The biggest pleasure of your day should be creating something new, should be making a new friend, should be discovering something new, should be having good sex, should be a great night's sleep that you haven't, I mean, those are the things that you should derive pleasure. Making somebody laugh, making somebody happy, making somebody's day, those are pleasurable activities. If, if cramming your face with carbohydrates, if that is the highlight of your day, I'm not being mean or crude. I'm being very honest because I used to be that guy. If that's the highlight of your day, you need to go look in the mirror. And you need to go, what the hell are you doing? You're a, you're a freaking human being, okay? Human beings who are eating the proper human diet are more like Avengers or X-Men. I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm telling you, people who are carnivores or keto, they say at 50, I feel better now than I felt at 30. You tell me that ain't a superpower. Because the average 50-year-old, the only thing they're looking for is the recliner or the couch. But 50-year-old ketoers or 50-year-old carnivores, we're looking for some trouble to get into. Okay? So, yeah, it's kind of like a superpower when you don't have to eat every two hours and when food's not the, the biggest pleasure of your day. I promise you, listen to me. Do it. Do the five steps I talked about. You'll be, a diff you'll, you'll be the person that you've always wanted to be.
Thank you so much for all of this, Dr. Ken. I could talk to you for hours. I have millions of questions, but um, I don't want to keep you too long. Yeah, so, I guess we better wrap it up to today. We'll have to do a round two. Yes, please. Um, but where can people find you? So you're, yeah, you want to share with that. So I've got the little book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. It's available at all bookstores. Yeah, there's also an audible. If you're spoiled like me and you would rather listen to a book while you do something else, there's an audible for that. I've got a little YouTube channel. If you just search Dr. Barry on YouTube, you'll find me. I've got a little Facebook page. If you search Dr. Barry on Facebook, you'll find me. I got Instagram. If I'm feeling magnanimous and loving, I'll post on Instagram. If I'm feeling salty and snarky, I'll post on Twitter. <laughs> if I'm feeling helpful, I'll post on Facebook. If I'm feeling informative, I'll make a YouTube video. So it depends on my mood where I post on social media each day. Perfect. And then also, whatever you like. If you like salty, snarky, follow me on Twitter. If you like helpful and loving, follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Just depends on what you're up for. Yes, I think we need all of it. <laughs> Thank you so much. And if I guess last question, if you could share just final pieces of wisdom for anyone that's really struggling starting out on this journey, yeah. what would you like you, to leave them with? You are a human being. You shouldn't make apologies or excuses for that. You should be proud of that. You are the apex species on this planet. With that comes many powers also comes responsibility. We need to have, we need to exercise both of those. There is a proper human diet. If you eat that diet, your chronic medical conditions will get better. They may not go away, but they're going to get better. Okay. This has happened in hundreds of thousands of people. There is no doubt about this. If you're eating processed crap that Kellogg's is selling you or Kraft, or, or Duncan Hines, any of the big multi-billion dollar food corporations, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, all of them, McDonald's, you're gonna get fat, you're gonna get sick, you're gonna get fatty liver, you're gonna get prediabetes, you're gonna get autoimmune conditions because you are poisoning your body. They're not poisoning you. Now that you've seen this, listen to this podcast, you now know the truth. So you can't blame it on McDonald's and Kellogg's anymore. It's your damn fault now. But that's the bad news. The good news is, is you can turn this off and you can start changing every bit of that today. You don't have to take a course. You don't have to buy a single product. Just follow the five steps I talked about earlier. And you can literally begin to transform your life and yourself into the person that you should have been all along. Beautiful. That was the best closing. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. I, I, I love hanging out with you. We'll have to do it again. Yes, absolutely.